Hello and welcome back to the We Are Rail Fans podcast, the series for rail fans by rail fans, where we explore all areas of the rail hobby from around the globe. I'm Sam, and thanks for all your comments about the series so far. Colin's been in touch to say, really enjoying this podcast, so informative. Thanks for all you do for us. Glad you're enjoying listening, Colin. And I must give a shout out to Nancy, too, who simply says this series is awesome. If you've missed any of our previous episodes, they're available wherever you get your podcasts. To keep up to date with all the latest news from the train world, visit the We Are Rail Fans website at wearerailfans.com. You can also get in touch with us via our Facebook page of the same name. Now, in our podcast season so far, we've spoken to several different train drivers about their experiences of driving around the world. Today, we look at a different kind of world, the virtual one, and we're talking about train simulators with senior producer of Train Sim World, Matt Peddleston. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me. So Train Sim World comes from Dovetail Games, which has a long backstory in making train simulators. Matt, how did you first get involved? So uh, 20 years ago now, I set up a website for the community and uh, started building uh, that up to uh, probably a third of a million users. It's been very busy. And through that, got in touch with most of the developers over the time that have been making train simulators and uh, told them what the community told me they wanted from train sims and what I wanted. And ultimately, that led me to getting in touch with uh, railsimulator.com, formerly known, which is what Dovetail Games used to be called, and building quite a close relationship, actually, and uh, actually finding it uh, really, really engaging to work with uh, the team. And ultimately, that led to me being given the opportunity to come and actually work here full time. I initially started as the uh, working with third-party developers, a lot more in line with what I'd been doing with the uh, the community, and then ultimately a few years ago now taking lead of building the new train simulator, Train Sim World, uh, as it is now. So, have you always been a train fan, or is this something that came along with the job? Oh, I've always been a train fan for as long as I can remember. When I was uh, very very small, crawling around on the floor, I had a uh, what was to me a massive train set. As I know now, it was called the Big Big Train Set by Triang, and it was this um, O-gauge plastic high mech with a couple of plastic coaches on some bright orange track. And I loved it. It was brilliant. And, you know, riding real trains has always been uh, something I've loved doing. One of my first memories that I can think of is uh, the family riding on one of the early HSTs. And it was like riding in a spaceship. I mean, compared to some of the trains we were riding at the time, this thing was just amazing. So, Matt, you're a senior producer on Train Sim World. What does that entail? So, Train Sim World is made up of uh, a large team of people that are all in different specialists. So, they cover audio, the coders, the engineering team, the setup team for the trains themselves, the route builders, creative environment team, just a large number of different teams uh, that are covering a wide range of topics. And essentially, my job is really to understand at a reasonable level, everything that's going on in each of those groups. So I can go from a uh, a call with one of the engineers about how they are, what they're doing and how they're doing it, to then call with the track team to understand the intricacies of the track, to then going on to the environment team about how they're delivering some environment side of things. So it's really wrapping all of those those specialisms together and uh, just getting the big picture of the whole project. So would you say that you are the grease between the wheels of those different specialities? I aim to be the grease between those wheels. Yes, that is my job. 
You're listening to the We Are Rail Fans podcast. I'm Sam, and today's guest is Matt Peddlesden. So, Matt, we describe a train simulator as being a virtual driving experience. What does that actually mean? For someone who hasn't come across a train simulator before, is this something you can do at home, or does it require specialist equipment? Driving a train simulator is something you can do at home. You can play it with your games console, with a controller, you can use your PC with a mouse and keyboard, or there's uh, other hardware that you can get for a more refined experience. It's really up to you how you want to drive it. Driving a train sim is just sitting in the uh, in the cab of a train and doing what a real driver would do uh, operating the switches learning the line and learning the safety systems that sounds quite simple and obviously you're you're driving on tracks so you haven't got to worry about things like steering where does the challenge come in so the challenge with driving a train um, is generally stopping it whereas uh, you can accelerate a train and that's relatively straightforward uh, you just put the throttle up when you want to actually stop a train, quite often you want to stop it at a specific location. For example, stopping a high-speed train uh, in the UK when you're doing 125 miles an hour takes well over a mile. But the time you've seen why you need to stop, it's too late. You can't stop for it. You need to know you need to stop before you would normally, in your car or anything else, know you'd need to stop. So you can't react on site. You need to know what's coming up, which means you need to know what's going on with the signals. You need to be being paying 100% attention to what's going on at all times. Because if you miss that signal then who knows what the next one is? You, you don't know, so you need to then start braking. When you go to a train station and you see trains coming in and stopping on the platform, you'll see they stop almost exactly at the same space every time. And in fact, on the London Underground and many other underground lines, they have to stop at exactly the same place or the doors won't open. And when you actually start driving a train uh, in the simulator, you start realising how difficult it is when you're driving. You're trying to keep to a timetable. You need to stop. So you need to come into a station fairly fast and put the right amount of brakes on to come to a stop at exactly within centimetres sometimes of the uh, of the right stopping point, which takes practice to get right, but it's immensely fun. So what you're describing there does sound rather similar to what uh, real train drivers have to go through. Is that what makes for a good game? What is it that is the, uh, the, the quintessential part of a, an effective train simulator? It's It's capturing the the real experience as close as possible. If you're doing what a real train driver does, then that's the, uh, the the best you can get. If you're having to experience the route, learning the signaling systems, learning the safety systems, learning the way that a train accelerates and brakes, because each train behaves differently. So it's not like once you've learned one, then you've learned them all. And there's no subtle variations. Some trains are very quite wildly in terms of how they will accelerate and brake and so forth. And similarly, the characteristics across different countries and so forth are very different. So for me, it's about really capturing the nuances and the unique behaviours of all the trains, the routes, the signalling systems, and making it to where you really feel like you are a train driver. That 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 is the more you're immersed, the more you think to yourself, I am a train driver in this in this experience then the, the, the more successful the, the it's been. So how close does the simulation in Train Sim World get to the real thing? It gets pretty close. One of the key things that you're missing um, is you're not actually there. So there is an element of if you are sat in the seat at the front of a train and you have 500 lives at your uh, safety that you need to look after, then... That puts you in a different mindset to if you're sitting at home on your couch playing a game with your controller. So that, that's a key thing, and you'll never capture that in a game. But in terms of being in the cab, 
looking around a 3D representation of the cab, which is realistic, having as many buttons and switches that are operable as possible, having the safety systems which react the way that they're supposed to and therefore making you think the way that you should as a driver is, is really important. So historically, you would buy a video game, stick it into your game's console and have a complete experience. What are the advantages in modern gaming that Train Sim World can exploit? The biggest benefit to modern gaming is that once the base game is uh, released and you're playing it and you're having a great time with it, we can then add expansions. We can add extra routes and trains to it and just keep that world growing for you. One of the really nice things about train enthusiasm in general is... There's so many different experiences. One train is not like another. One route is not like another. And so the fact that we can just keep expanding that experience to uh, everything that everyone wants to enjoy is uh, is just brilliant. So you said before that replicating the different nuances of individual trains, locos, EMUs, DMUs, all of that kind of business is a fundamental part of getting a train simulator right. What's the, what are, what's the underlying technology that allows that to happen? So we've developed a system called Simigraph, which is a simulation graph. And uh, that allows us to break down exactly what makes a train tick. So, you know, if you look at technical diagrams for trains, you'll see that you know, a diesel electric, for example, would have a fuel tank, a diesel engine. It will have traction motors. It will have generators and things like that. So... And each of those will be different on different classes of loco. It's not just it's got a diesel engine, hooray. They've got, they've got different diesel engines. Some of them have got multiple diesel engines. So Simugraph allows us to represent that level of detail. So we can add, if it's got two diesel engines, we can put two diesel engines in it and we can set those up the way they need to be in terms of their power outputs, their size and so forth. And then having got all of that data in there and wired up it literally visually looks like a big circuit schematic circuit diagram which covers all sorts of forces the pneumatics electricals mechanicals and so forth it covers all the braking systems all the pneumatics for how the brake systems work which again are different in different trains different countries and then the other neat thing with simigraph is that we can then wire all of the effects of the train so sounds lights particle effects and so forth can then be wired into the individual machinations going on inside so instead of saying you've put the throttle up therefore put more sound on essentially the sound can be wired directly to what the engine is doing directly to what the traction motor is doing so we've got more control over those things now real drivers and engineers have to go through months of training to drive a train does that make it difficult to replicate this virtually one of the real challenges is trying to distill the experience down to what's important, what's fun for the player without losing what's important to being a driver in a train. Now, one of the reasons you go through months of training to drive a train is to cover all the things that go wrong because you are in charge of a train and there will be a risk of safety for passengers if you get it wrong. Therefore, you can't get it wrong. Now, that's not not as important in a virtual world. So learning all of the safety procedures for what happens in a myriad of different situations is nowhere near as important as the just how you make a train go, how you make a train stop. It's fundamentally fairly straightforward. And then you can just practice in your own time. And if you make a mistake, it's fine. You can just restart it. There's no consequences for that. So it's because the drill drivers have actual consequences that no one wants they have to then practice and practice and practice and be 100 percent sure before they're allowed out on their own a real driver would have someone with them watching them 
for, I think, three months in some cases. So it gives you an idea. It can take a year before you're fully signed off to be able to drive a route on your own. And you have to know, like the back of your hand, you literally sign off and saying, I know this route completely. You don't want that in a video game. And that, that's why the simulation presents some of the information to you on the screen. It's a shortcut having to learn that stuff. It'll tell you where the next signal is and tell you where the next platform is. You don't have to remember those things. And that's how we can shortcut and make it easier and more approachable while not distilling down the experience. Because you can turn those features off if you want to full Monty, if you want to actually learn the route. You can turn off all these assists and do that yourself. So it still sounds like a fairly complex experience to be able to manhandle a modern train down a virtual track. How simple do you make it so that a young player who maybe has a great enthusiasm for trains can get stuck in and become a driver without having to flip 87 different switches and look for the correct signal aspect? So we uh, we have a, load of, a bunch of tutorials, which um, we encourage players to go through uh, when they first um, sign up to the game. And using those tutorials, which are only a few minutes long each, they're quite straightforward. We teach you the basics, how to make it go, how to make it stop, how to do a passenger stop, how to uncouple and couple if it's freight, those sorts of things. Really quick, really short, really punchy tutorials. And then we let you you loose on the route. There's then a series of scenarios. Now those scenarios fully guided. So we'll tell you if you need to operate a switch, it'll say operate that switch operate these these levers now to do these things this is where you should be slowing down so slow down here now towards the latter half of a scenario we it probably dials off and starts telling you less about what to do but then when you finish all the scenarios you then get to serve what we call the timetable mode and in the timetable mode we don't provide you assistance so in the timetable mode you'll need to set the train up but having done all the tutorials and all the scenarios, which is several hours worth of uh, of time in the sim, you should be then in a good place to uh, to figure out how to then follow that on. And you can always go back to the tutorials at any point if you get stuck. So how do you go about modelling a virtual train? Do you take uh, a lot of photographs? Is it about making it up? And how authentic are we talking about? So with everything that we do, the goal is start from reality. Now, we are not going to be able to get every bolt where it should be. We're not going to be able to get every switch doing exactly what it should. However, the assumption we always start from is, well, that's what we want to do. And so we go and dig out. So one of the things that we do is where we can, and in most cases we can, we're going to do a photo survey of that train. And that's thousands of photographs inside and outside. Some of the strangest photographs that you'd have ever seen, certainly not the photographs you'd see in any kind of album from someone's li- uh, library of their own trips out. So we're looking in detail under the train at the springs and the pipes and so forth. And in the cab, we will look at all as much of what we're going on. And we'll take photographs of things we're probably not going to use because they might provide insight into things that we don't realize we need. So we'll take as much information as we can. And you also need to take photographs of the top of trains as well, something which is quite rarely photographed by enthusiasts. Because, for example, on electric trains, well, there's quite a lot of complexity in terms of how the pantographs and so forth are set up. Diesel trains even, just the way the fans are laid out and, and the detail of the fans and horns and so forth, you want to capture that. So a full photo survey is really, really important. There are also a lot of photographs online. So where we don't get a full photo survey, where we don't get access to a photo survey, because sometimes in modelling trains that just don't exist anymore, then we'll use as much other library reference as we can uh, from the from the internet. Next step then is how the train works. 
Now, in a lot of cases, we can get hold of the manuals for the train. eBay, for example, is a great source for that. But also talking to the train operators, we've been able to get hold of the uh, the train operators' manuals, train maintenance manuals, and so forth. And they then give us the diagrams, the schematic diagrams of what the uh, the the block diagram of how the train is built works. So it tells us about the fuel tanks and diesel engines, the traction motors and the like, and circuit diagrams for how the electronics uh, on the train work, how the uh, the lights are wired and so forth. So obviously, with more modern trains, that gets significantly more complicated. With older trains, it's relatively straightforward, and that gives us a real insight then as to how we can start building both the simulation side of it, which is the, the sort of the, how we make the train go and how we make it stop, uh, and also the setup side. So how, what light switches do? Can it control passenger lights? What do, what are on the screens? So if it's a more modern train and it's got screens, what are on those screens and what can you control? And the manual will quite often give us the full layouts for those. And then the final real major part to that then is audio, which is really tough because you can't make up audio. You've got to go and capture it. And particularly if you're making a train that doesn't exist anymore, that's really challenging. But there's normally trains that are similar and wherever possible, we'll go out and get recordings. And that's literally going up to these real trains, strapping microphones and recording equipment on the undersides of trains and then driving them. For example, when we went up to the Northeast Corridor, we strapped microphones onto trains like the ACS 64, and that then ran up and down the Northeast Corridor two or three times at 500 miles a time, and we recorded all the audio from all of these trips. And we've done the same thing with other places like Caltrain and, and so forth. So it's getting all of the reference, and then the audio team then take all of that and then do cuts and edits and try and re-manifest that into the game as faithfully as possible. Now, this sounds like a fantastic day out for someone who is a train enthusiast. Do you get much competition within the company from people wanting to go along on these survey missions? Yeah, uh, and and to date, I've not been able to go on one myself, which has been a subject of great pain. But it's more important that the people that are actually doing the work get to go out and do these trips. And I know they really enjoy them. It's normally one person from the loco art side of things is there to make sure they get all the art reference and someone from the audio team is there capturing the audio reference, particularly where they're international. These these trips are quite expensive and quite time consuming for everybody to organize. We spent a week in in California with Caltrain, just got so much support from from them and you know it's really tough but yeah there's 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 lots of competition from the rail fans saying oh i wish we could go i wish we could go but everyone realizes that it's the people that are actually have to be there uh, are the ones most important to go so what does driving virtually allow you to experience that you don't or maybe can't in the real world Principally, it's a couple of things. Uh, one is driving trains that don't exist anymore. It's a real great opportunity to drive, for example, steam trains that just don't exist anymore, uh, or diesels. And the other is uh, routes that don't exist anymore, That uh, like Northern Transpennine driving from Manchester to Leeds. You, you can't drive that route anymore in that way because it's changed over time. So that's that's really fascinating. And I guess for real drivers, driving in countries that they would never get to drive in, they can take their skills and experience and apply those into other parts of the world. And they might enjoy that uh, as much as they do their own driving their own trains. So you mentioned real drivers there. Do we seek their feedback when we've put a new train together to see if it feels like the real thing? As much as possible, yes. Whether it's maintenance engineers, drivers, 
signaling experts. We try and consult with as many people who are uh, really connected to the, the rail industry as possible. And uh, where we can, we invite them into the, uh, the beta testing team where they can actually play the content and provide direct feedback or just answer questions depending on what their own time schedules and interests allow providing us with uh, you know access to materials which um you know we m- might find difficult to otherwise get so it's um yes absolutely wherever possible we will uh, in- uh, involve the real railways definitely so obviously getting feedback from drivers to test out your simulation once you've built it is important but do you know of any drivers who actually drive this for fun Oh, yes. Lots. It's surprising how many people in the rail industry, uh, regardless of which branch of the rail industry they're in, actually will, will spend all day at work driving trains, come home and uh, carry on driving trains. Initially, it's a surprise. It's fascinating because you'd think you'd want to do something else when you get home uh, rather than doing more of your day job. But the fact is a lot of train drivers love trains. They're, they're train enthusiasts themselves. And going back to the earlier question about what can you do virtually that you can't in reality? That's one of the draws, um, that the, uh, the real drivers have is I can take my skills. I can use them elsewhere. I can see what it's like to drive a UK train because they probably won't get the chance to do that in reality or. It's taking all the fun stuff about driving trains and taking away all of the bad stuff, all of the risk, all of the safety, uh, all of that stuff where you're responsible for lives. And you can just enjoy the fun part about driving trains. And uh, I think that's because fundamentally driving trains in, in train sim world is quite relaxing, whereas driving trains in reality is not and should not be relaxing. You are, you know, you're responsible. So it's it's that key shift, I think, that makes it to where people want to do what they, they enjoy it, but they want to do it fun. Now, we've spoken to a few drivers, and they all speak of the inherent characteristics of the trains that they drive. And sometimes those can be quirks or nuances that make them a little bit difficult from time to time. How do you go about getting that across? It depends on the train, uh, and a lot of it is about talking to the uh, the drivers uh, and finding out. You know, the manual says it works like this, and the drivers will say, "Well, the first one worked like that, but none of the others did." And it's it, that's the stuff that's never written down anywhere. There's or oh, actually, it turned out on this loco. If you uh, drive it like this, it doesn't work. But if you drive it like that, it works better. So we try and work out why that is, and then try and build those characteristics in where we can. We're just building the first steam locomotives in Trainsome Mold at the moment, and there's all sorts of of quirks about um, steam locomotives for example where if you don't drain the cylinder cocks or um, if you don't close fireboxes and tunnels and so forth so there's all sorts of nuances you know important things that we need to try and capture but a lot of it is about our own experience the tire and the experiences we collect from talking to people that actually operate these things in real world so train sim world doesn't just represent the uk you offer trains from around the world how does it differ driving a virtual train in the UK versus, say, Germany? The rules are different. So in the UK, the signals are relatively straightforward. It's red, double yellow, yellow and green. There's some variations with feathers. But otherwise than that, it's it's a relatively straightforward. But it's also route-based signalling. When you go to Germany, it's not route-based signalling anymore. It's speed-based signalling, where they actually you don't need to know the route as well anymore with German signals. The German signals will tell you how fast to drive at any given moment. But you need to understand it doesn't have a necessarily have a big flashing number. Sometimes it's just a yellow and a green light, and you need to know that that means 40 kilometers an hour. 
But then in addition to the complexities of the different signaling systems, which would be true anywhere in the world, you've then got the in-cab safety systems and they can be wildly different as well. And they're always linked in, obviously, with the, the signaling. So there's some key differences really there. Going from the UK to Germany, you switch from miles to kilometers, which seems like an obvious thing. But in your head, if you're used to X distance being where I do a certain thing, like slowing down, that might not be the case if you're now in kilometers and you need to just mentally work out what it is now in a different unit. So there's a number of things which are subtly different. And then sometimes just the fundamental way that the trains work, different countries will have subtly different control systems, whether they are how the throttle control will work or how a particular kind of speed set will work. And um, it's just understanding those little nuances. So where does the biggest challenge lie then in creating a virtual rail route? Oh, the biggest challenge. There are a lot of different challenges. Generally, the track is not the easiest, necessarily the easiest thing to create, but the easiest thing to understand because you can see it on things like Google Earth. Signaling is probably one of the more complicated things because it underpins the entire experience. The signals are what's telling you when to slow down. As I mentioned previously, if you're driving HST at 125 miles per hour, you need the signals to slow you down. So the signals need to know how to do that and they need to be configured in a way. And signals are not just islands. Every signal talks to and knows about many of the other signals that are around it. So one of the complexities is really understanding how that's working in real life. And that's often not available. Um, so we have to derive it. We have to look at it and try and figure out what the likely setup of a signal is now the good news is you can figure it out logical uh it's just really really complicated uh trying to figure that stuff out so we have a team dedicated just to the the signaling and the track infrastructure side of things i would say that's probably one of the more complex areas to put in there uh creating all of this environment art is not so much complex it's massively time consuming because you're trying to create a viable you know scene that's immersive it needs to potentially be immersive for half a mile to a mile either side of the track. So when you talk about a route that's 40 miles long, it's not 40 miles of scenery. It's it's 40 miles of along the track plus a mile either side of the track potentially, which means that, that the time required to create that scenery and, and capture it in an immersive and realistic way is, is, is a challenge. But uh, I would say signaling probably one of the most complex areas. Now, trains are changing all the time, and the technology that goes with it is constantly evolving. How do you keep up with that, and and how does that then translate into the game? As we're developing new routes, we look at what technology is relevant to a particular route, and uh, we'll we'll develop the technology required for that. So, and that can involve going backwards as well as forwards. So, if we haven't developed uh, when we did Northern Trans Pennine, we hadn't developed gear changing locomotives, for example. So, we had to develop that. When we did the Con Aachen route for Trainsim World 2, we hadn't developed the LZB high-speed signalling system and technology uh, and cab signalling that was required to make an ICE train capable of running at uh, the, the high speeds on the Con Aachen route. And so the team had to do the research, figure out how the system worked, and then manifest that in the game. There are other systems which we haven't touched on yet, which at some point probably will come into the game, like the the new RTMS that's rolling out throughout Europe. We don't have it in the game. We don't have plans to implement it in the game at this point, but I can see at some point that becoming, because it's becoming more and more prevalent uh, around Europe and the UK, that that actually, you know, becoming something that we'll need to do. And at that point, again, it's just 
research it and talk to people that drive and have learned how to use this and then figure out the best way to bring that into the game. Is there a route or train that personally you'd absolutely love to develop? That's really difficult uh, because I I love all routes and all trains um, and they all offer something really unique and different. I know one thing I'm really hankering for at some point is some Welsh narrow gauge. I think that would be really interesting, really different and be fun to drive. And the scenery, for example, on the Festiniog is particularly beautiful. So I think that would be something I'd like to do at some point. At the end of each one of these interviews, we like to ask our guests a few quick-fire questions. So to get us underway, Matt, do you have a favourite train? A Class 9F steam locomotive. What makes it great? Lots of wheels, lots of animation. What I love about steam trains is all the stuff going on outside and how alive they look. And the 9F, we're having 10 driving wheels. Nothing looks more alive in the UK. Okay, second question. If you had to choose, would you go with steam, diesel or modern trains? I don't want to choose, but if I have to, it would be steam. Um, I love steam locomotives. I think they're fascinating to drive, and they're all unique. Um, so, yeah, steam for me. What's the one train you wish you'd got to see live? It's an odd one, but there's a little shunter, uh, an LNER J50, that I had a model of when I was younger. It's got a weird shape. I just miss the fact that none of them ever survived into preservation. Do you have a favourite country to travel by rail in? So I've done, uh, I've travelled in Germany a few times and I've always really enjoyed it and I probably want to do some more of that. But there are many countries I've not travelled by rail in and I want to do some of that as well. Give me an example. So I want to do a long haul run across America, uh, do one of the transcontinental runs across America. And I'd also like to go to Australia and uh, do one of the longer runs on there or visit the, uh, the, the Blue Mountain Railway. So what do you think the future of rail travel is going to look like? Will we always need train drivers? I think we're always going to need train drivers on certain routes. Uh, I think high-density commuter routes in cities will need them less and less as they become more and more automated, which is the trend that's currently happening. Uh, but there are some journeys that are always going to need the expert's eye on them, such as uh, out in America or in uh, freight journeys. Matt, you've been an absolute delight to speak to today. Uh, if someone is interested in learning more about Trainsim World, where can they find out about it? You can find us at trainsimworld.com or uh, search for us on the uh, PlayStation, Xbox or PC stores. Or indeed, we're on all the usual social media. So come along and find us. Say hello. Matt, it's been a great deal of fun talking trains with you on this podcast. Thanks very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Sam. It's been fantastic. I've really enjoyed it. And thanks to you for listening. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please do let us know. You can get in touch via wearerailfans.com or use the We Are Rail Fans Facebook page. That's where you can send in your questions and comments. And who knows, we might be reading out your messages down the track. Please hit that follow button wherever you get your podcasts so you get a new episode as soon as it's been recorded. And whilst you're there, why not leave us a review? It helps other people find our podcast. This has been a Listen production. Thanks for travelling with us today, and if you wouldn't mind, please ensure you have all your belongings with you before you leave the show. And we'll catch you next time. Listen.